0: Let's turn to Acts chapter four, and um, you know, like you know, when I'm I'm here Sunday mornings with you guys, and in this incredible simplicity of what we have here, I sense this very strong sense of foreshadowing. You know what that word foreshadowing means? Foreshadowing. It's do you, how many know what that means? It's a, it's a literary word that just means that. Um, You're reading something in the story, and in the story, there is this hint of something coming in the story. And you're reading this, and you're like, oh, wait a minute, that was easily to pass over that in the story, but this symbol or this statement or this event is a picture of something that's coming down the road. And so every time... I meet here with you all on Sundays, and, and just since we've lived here, I have this growing sense of foreshadowing, spiritual foreshadowing. And I've heard each one, every one of you in this room, one way or another, have said this to my, me or my wife, and I sense that there is this um, something that is that God is doing in our midst. And as Chris was speaking this morning, And I've said this before, but I'm reminded again of this, is that I really believe that what we're doing here is that seven churches will come out of this. And you may say, well, what are you talking about? But when we first came here, God put this number in my heart, just number seven. There's seven churches in Asia Minor. There's seven churches in the book of of, of Revelation. Seven is a number, it's a beautiful number. And while we're here, I have this sense, and there's this beautiful music living out from over there, I don't know what that is, but um, I have this sense that, 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 that our church, Evergrace, is pregnant with seven churches. Does that make sense? <laughs> I mean, we're pregnant. And I don't know how long this pregnancy lasts. I don't think it's nine months. Maybe it's nine months. Maybe it's three months. Maybe it's nine years. I don't know what God will do. But I look at myself, and I was saying this to Rodney and a couple of you guys. I said this to Moran. I said, I think that my job here is, is not to build a big church. Maybe that will happen, I don't know. And I said this to, to Eduardo as well. And wasn't a beautiful message last Sunday by Eduardo just pouring out his heart like that. Man, that was, that's just so amazing. I feel like that my job here is, is to, is just to really like to get other guys in front of me, push them into their place. Men and women have got, just get them in their place and, and, and in the end, if we wind up that everybody leaves, and it's just my wife and I, but everybody leaves and they're just out into ministry and they're just killing it in the kingdom of God. That's not a good word, by the way, to use, killing it. Because <laughs> they don't kill things in the kingdom of God. The flesh does. But if we, but if we got guys, just, just missionaries going out and just making an impact, and it's just my wife and I... I I'm good, man. I'm like I'm so good, because when I see when I when I look at when we look at what God is doing in the Ukraine, the five churches that we have there, and when I look at the four churches that we were we have in Poland, and that we were a part of that, and the church in Serbia and the church in Cyprus, and uh, new works that are starting in other places, um, I just feel like that's what my job is. I feel like what you were saying today, Chris, is that that what we do here is. Is that it's not me to build a temple, but we're talking to Solomons in the room that right? way. You're all Solomons in the room, every one of you, even Tolga, you know, as a Solomon. And the hand of God is on your lives. And the vision that God gives us sometimes is not for us, but it may be for a Solomon in your life, and you don't even know it. And sometimes we're like, why is this? You know, it's supposed to be like this, and I want to look at this in a minute. It's supposed to be like this, and this is the way the church is supposed to look like. You know what? I think a large part of God's battle with us is when we try to make it look like the way we think a successful church looks like. And what is a successful church? We're going to look at that right now. So let's turn into Acts chapter 4. So... I, I just wanted to bear my heart out to you. I love nations, I love races, and in the, in the eyes of God, there are no nations and race differences. But the, the, when you look at the temple, I'm sure Marat can tell us more about this. But if you look at the temple of, in Jerusalem, there was the there was the court for the Gentiles. It was multitudes of nations. When I see Tolga and I see his mom Jia from Mongolia, that's a country that I've been. I think about it, I pray about it, and I don't know what will happen, but I'd love to go there. I've been, been right next to Mongolia. I've been in Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan um, and in Russia. And uh, it's a beautiful people group there. They speak a Turkic language. It's, like a, it's a Turkic language, and if you speak Turkish, you can almost understand Mongolian. Um, and I know I have a friend out there, and I've never met him, but we've connected. Somehow we connected. His name is Mark, and he's a missionary there in Mongolia. And so when we think about the work of God, it's multi-ethnic, multi-nation. It's, and I have a new word for that. I don't like the word, I think that when we say the word um, multi-ethnic or or these other words that people use in the world of, of politically being politically correct, I think it just, I think there's one word that I think it's blended. Because we are blended into one family, and that's the family of God. When we look at the church, the first church, in Acts chapter 2, what do we think about when we think about the Acts chapter 2, the church in the book of Acts chapter 2? What was happening there? Remember the context. You had Jews from all over the world. I mean, speaking all these crazy languages. You would go to Jerusalem at that time, and you would not even... Like, everybody's speaking another language. And you'd be like, what is going on here? That's the heart of the gospel multilingual multilingual many 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 races many many ethnic groups and so you have god moving in acts chapter 2 and it looks very international houston is the most international city in the united states right now did you guys know that number one number one city in texas of all places (laughs) you know and this is where god is moving god is moving in texas god is moving in houston and there's a great move of god here and somebody may say, well, there's all these churches here. Yeah, you know why? Because God is moving in, in Houston. And so I don't want to get on that topic right now, but I just want to say that God is on the move. And what does that look like? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And we're going to look, and thanks, Colton, for being back there for the last minute, jumping in. But I want to look at the verses 23 through 34 today. But I want to start with the end, okay? I want to start with verse 32 and just read Acts chapter 4. Verse thirty-two would be now the num- Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Verse thirty-three, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony of the- to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that was the message of the New Testament church. It, it wasn't how to make yourself better. It wasn't some psychological or psychoanalytical message. It was the resurrection of Christ. It was not some ascetic language. Testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. I love that verse right there. Great grace. Mega. It was great grace upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them... And brought the proceeds of what was sold. I'm gonna stop there for a second. When I read that verse, I think about the church today. Like, do we see that happening today? And I think that we could go into we could go into these verses and say, the church is not doing this today. The church is not like that. We don't have that unity. We don't have people selling their land and giving it to the church. Uh, uh, we have needy people, and, and we can spend all this time complaining about all this stuff, and say, why is that not happening? Do you know why? Because we need to read the verses ahead. We need, when we look at these verses, we say God is moving, people are getting saved, there's unity, there's an incredible move of God, there's no need, and um, the church has what it needs, and the church is giving. Yesterday, I was getting um, a screen of my wife's phone fixed, and you know, I was in the mall with my son, and I was at one of these little kiosks, you know, these little kiosks in the mall, and they're just, you know, I think most business is happening in those kiosks, by the way, because they got some really cool stuff. And there's this guy in there, and they fix screens. And so he's in there, and he starts working. He's, he's, he's. Um, I can tell you he's from the Middle East. And so we started talking, and uh, and he goes, "So, so what do you do?" And I said, "Well, I'm a pastor." And he goes, "Oh," he said, "That's," he goes, um, he goes. He said, Oh, that must be great pay or something like that. You must be making a lot of money, you know? And I said, I said, I don't even take a paycheck, you know? And he goes, Oh, okay. And there was a lady that was getting her phone. She looked at me like, and everybody stopped and looked at me like, And we have my son there. And, and I go, Yeah, you know, the money that we have coming to the church, we really want to utilize it for the mission of the church. And so we get talking with him, and he's from Pakistan. And he was the, we were the first people that he had ever met that was not like, and I'm not saying it's bad to do that, I'm just saying that you know, at this time we're not doing that. And he was so impressed, we start talking, he goes, you know, buying and selling churches is an incredible business. He said, he goes, there was a time earlier before my, my divorce, he said that the bank would call me and he, they, would, they would offer me, he goes, I have eight large churches, big properties for sale. Or are you interested in? I have one church, that, um, the property's worth one million dollars, and I'll sell it to you for 300000 dollars Do you want it? And he said, and he would do business practices like this. He would buy and sell church properties. Isn't that crazy? Because there's a lot of business in this. But we look at these verses and we think, what is, where is the disconnect what's going on? And we can start living in, we can start living very critical. And I want to say in this series of however long God will have it is that what does it look like for the biblical picture of a move of God? Let's start in verse 23. Let's back up. Let's see what's going on here in verse 23. And when they were released, okay, who was released? The apostles were in jail because they were preaching the gospel. They were preaching Christ, and they wound up in jail. And they were released. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests in verse 23 of chapter 4 of Acts. And the elders had said to them. What did they say to the chief priests and the elders say? No more preaching. What's the most threatening thing in the in the world today when you and I share our faith, we share the gospel. We you know, Friday night we were at Gigi's and with Murad's study there and, and Jeff was speaking, I was like, what a just, a just a just a very random group of people here, and it was so awesome. It was a great fellowship. One guy walks in, I don't know who he was, but I think he was a, a house church pastor or something, and he goes, There's a lot of energy in this room. <laughs> I said, yes, yeah, the coffee and the, and the cupcakes. <laughs> and when they were released, so you know why when they were released? They were in prison because they were they were sharing their faith. There's nothing more threatening to the devil in this world than you and I just saying something about Christ in our life. We can do all these humanitarian great things. The world will even applaud that. The world will clap. Businesses will give to you. All these things. Oh, you're such a great church. When we start preaching Christ and we tell people the truth because of love. There's the threat. And when they had heard it, verse 24, the people in the house, you know, the the apostles come to a house. And when everybody in the house heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And they say four things. They say, number one, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Don't you love how the disciples pray in the beginning, big God, big God, amazing God, powerful God. Oh, God, if it didn't start off like, oh, poor us. It started off with a very big God. Very big God. You, have missed, you are sovereign. That's a beautiful word meaning that no one's going to tell you what to do, God. You are, you are sovereign, Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and why the people plot in vain? And verse 26, the kings of the earth set themselves. Look at the perspective these believers have. They're like talking global. They're talking kings of the earth, big God, big heaven. Who talks like this when you're in the middle of persecution? When you're like hunkering down because they could be coming down after you next. And, they, and they, then all the rulers gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. Perspective and understanding. It's not about them. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. It's not about you getting persecuted. It's not about you having your heart. It's about Christ in you, because when you and I—I'm and I'm getting ahead of myself—it's Christ in you that the world hates. Don't take it personally. It's—it's it's, you know—it's Christ in you, the Lord's anointed. In verse twenty-seven, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. This is a prayer, by the way. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. Don't you love this? I was reading this work this week about God's prevenience. And that means that God is always previous. It's a beautiful topic. It's about how God is always previous. Meaning that God is always moving first. And in the book of, the, book of Acts, you always see God moving and then the devil reacting. You never see the devil reacting. You never see the devil working and then God reacting. Oh my gosh, what just happened? You see the, the previous God. And they were gathered together. And in verse, um, in verse 29, And now, Lord, took look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Verse 30, well, you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. In verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was what? What's that word say there? Shaken, right? they were shaken, it was shaken, the place was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Four things, remember, O Lord, consider their threats. Verse 29, God, consider their threats. Number two, and this is after they prayed to a mighty big God, enable your servants, in verse 29, second part of the verse, and, and then help us to preach the word with boldness in the third part of verse 29. And then in verse four, I mean, number four, stretch out your hand to heal, And perform miraculous signs and wonders. Does that sound like a prayer that we'd be praying today? Yes, it does. When we look at that prayer, we think about a move of God. We think about the powerful presence of God and the mighty work of God and the powerful voice of God. What comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? What are the results? What kind of response do you think that God gives to these kinds of prayers? Well, in verse 31, when they prayed, the place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness, right? What do you think the answer to that prayer is? Think about this with me. What's the answer to that prayer? It's not what we might think it is. It's not first that they were filled with the Spirit or preaching the word of God with boldness. What was the cause of the move of God? Okay. This is the second thing I want to say this morning. The signature of the move of God in our life is what? Shaking. I've said this before. I mean, if you've heard me preach this before, please forgive me. But it's shaking. It's the first thing that happens when God begins to move in our life. Shaking, right? The place is shaken. Does it say that, like, there was an earthquake? Well, there may have been an earthquake, but there was a shaking. There was something that was being removed from its place. Its foundations began to to shake, and those the shaking means like, you know, sometimes when we pray, God, I wanna see you work in my life. Okay, God, I, I'm just tired of the status quo, right? I'm tired of, Lord, I wanna see you do something in my church. I, God, I wanna see you something, do something in my in my house church. I wanna see you do something in my business or in my marriage or in my kids. And, what's, and what happens, everything begins to shake. It just begins to, have you been in an earthquake before? How many of you have ever been in an earthquake? Okay, I was in Little Rock, Arkansas, I was on my way here one time, I was driving my my car down here that we had left back behind, and I'm in this hotel, and it's about 5.30 in the morning, I'm sleeping in this hotel, and all of a sudden, my bed starts to shake, it's like, like really shake, vibrate, you know? And you know how you're sleeping, I had earplugs in, I didn't hear anything, and you know how when you're sleeping, you're just kind of like, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting, I don't know what that is, and... Maybe this bed is supposed to do this. At, you know, start, Maybe there's an alarm in the bed that just starts shaking and it's supposed to wake you up for something that I didn't turn off. And I wake up the next morning and they said there was an earthquake. I just remember the shaking. I remember the feeling of just everything in the room moving. When we pray and we say, God, move. I want a church. I want to be a part of a move of God that's actually like Acts 4, verse 32. And guess what's going to happen? The answer is Shaking. Shaking. And two things are shaken. Good things are shaken. Good things are shaken. Things that we put our trust in. But what do we put our trust in and how can we tell where we put our trust in? It's those things that we find our repose in. You know what repose means? Relaxation. It's the, we are like, you know, what, I need to go relax. I need to go. And whatever that is that we run to to get relaxed, to, get, to feel relaxed, is where we put our repose and that is a refuge for us. These may be good things. These may be things that God has given us to be blessed with. But you know something, there are other things that, um, that are shaken, idols are shaken. These things that we worship, you know, I think comfort zone is good, having a, a zone of comfort around us, but when that comfort zone turns into prison walls and we can't step out of that comfort zone, you know what happens? We become a prisoner of our own comfort. God begins to shake our idols. What does that mean? It means that these idols that we used to run to when we are feeling anxious, when we are feeling that we need the release. When I need that release, what do we run to? Do we run to the bar? Am I running to a relationship? Am I running to something else for for the sense of gratification? What I run to for that sense of release is, is an idol. But guess what happens? When God comes into your life, and when God wants to do a move in your life, He begins to shake even your idols, and you—you you and I—discover that our idols are not even something anymore that give us comfort. It just doesn't give us comfort anymore. Either it doesn't—it's not able to do that, or it's just not the same way it used to be. And that's called a loss. That's called a law of diminishing healing. It means that. We do it, and we have to do it more to get the same feeling. It's like what what drug addicts experience, it's what alcoholics experience. And so these idols, God begins to shake these things in our life. The idol of what I think things should be. The idol of, of relaxation, release. Why? Because whenever God moves, there's a shaking. Look at Exodus chapter 19. You don't have to turn there, but think of this with me. Exodus 19, God comes down on Mount Sinai. God is moving. There's a brand new dispensation that's starting. It's the dispensation of the law. And what's God doing? God is bringing the law into. He has to show Israel that there's no way that you can please me. So I'm going to bring in this law and show you that I'm going to give you something so impossible to do that you just can't do it. I like what Chris said. He said that the beautiful thing about prayer is that there's nothing that we can do to change anything. We're praying to a big God who can do all the change. And so when God comes down on Mount Sinai, what happens? There's fire, there's earthquakes, there is thunderings, and there's, there are these voices. It's a horror show. <laughs> it's like unbelievable. It's like, what's going on? I mean, like, is this, you know, what is this? What's going to happen here? And so when God begins to move, the first thing that we see happening is shaking. That is the presence of God. I think that when we pray and everything begins to fall apart, and even the good things begin to shake guess what else god shakes he shakes our reality okay and this is this is important you know what have you ever been to a place in your mental health i'm, I'm talking seriously in your mental health that you think you're going to lose it or you lose it or you just lose it or you lose it multiple times a week what why is that happening is it god the god does, does god enjoy seeing us lose it no it's God is shaking what you and I define as reality so he can show you a new reality. A new reality, a reality that's based on the Word of God. Mount Sinai is shaking. Can you imagine, you're on, a, you're on, you're on the land, I have friends that are from Baku, Azerbaijan, and they said that, there were missionaries there, and they said there was this great earthquake years ago. 300 people died in the metro, because they're all putting in on that. And they said that they were it. they were on the street, and they said it was like we were it was like it was like a wave of water had just gone. I they, they said the sidewalk literally did this. And they said that they said that there was this incredible fear that happens because the thing that doesn't move started to move, and there's this incredible fear that came. Hebrews twelve or twenty six says that that day the earth shook with his voice, and whenever God comes down, there's always an earthquake. or there's an earthquake. Do you know why I think that we don't see the move of God in Acts 34 verse 32? I think it's because are we willing to allow God to shake everything and even shake our reality, our mental reality, to where we say nothing is true except for God's Word and Jesus Christ. When that happens, Everything that looks so strong in our life is now flimsy. And those, those, those walls and those strongholds, spiritual strongholds in our life that we didn't think would ever fall, begin to shake and you begin to see the towers come down. Why? Because it's, it's, it's the move of God. A move of God always begins with a shaking. If, God is, if we pray God shake the woodlands, if what's going to happen? If there's going to be shaking in your life. And there's gonna be disturbance and there's gonna be like, why is this happening like this? Why is this like this? Why is that? It's because God is there. God is moving in, the kingdom of God is coming in. And I really believe I this is what I this is just my personal, this is what I say to myself, is that what does God wanna do in the woodlands bubble? It's just a bubble here, you know, we just, you leave, you leave Shenandoah, you leave woodlands, and it's just another world, isn't it? What does God want to do in the wilderness? I think that God wants to shake things up. I don't know how that looks. And then God wants to, God wants to, God wants to start a very simple movement where people actually love each other. They're praying for each other, and they're bearing one another's burdens, and they are giving sacrificially, generosity. I'm getting ahead of myself here. And there is missions happening. We're thinking about the world. We're, we're not contracting and shrinking back. We're thinking about, you know, we have Mongolia here represented here this morning. God wants us, wants us to think about that place. Somebody may say, well, I can't go there. What are you talking about? I, I have this. I have this connection. It's okay. It's fine. We're not asking you to do that. Pray. Just pray. Just pray. Because when you pray, things happen. This is the last thing I want to say here is that When we run to our idols, we no longer see them there because they've been toppled. And they can no longer give us that lift that we wanted. They are silent and they cannot comfort us. What happens? We face the void. The void. Ever ever face your void? Every one of us has a void inside of us. And that looks differently. And maybe we don't talk about it with people. And that's fine. We don't need to talk about your void with people. But we're faced with it because, you know, all the idols are gone. All the comforts are gone. All the lovers are gone. All of the stimulation is gone. God has shut down things. and You don't have access to things. And now, and now there's the void. What do we do with the void? We discover, like what Chris was saying, that, that God the Father is only four feet away from us. We're blinds, but he's right there. I love that picture. We find that the Father is there with us. His presence is there. And it takes a few minutes for us to get it. When we talk about a move of God, we're not talking about an experience. We're not talking about a mystical thing happening. We're not talking about people falling down, laying on the floor, doing, doing abnormal things. We're talking about the present, not a mystical thing. Be careful of Christianity that, that portrays Christ as a mystical force. Or the Holy Spirit is some kind of force that just lays everybody out. And that could happen. But the the move of God, the powerful move of God is not an unknowable thing. And I'm going to finish up here in five minutes. Stay with me. The move of God is not impersonal. The devil is impersonal. Do you know when when you're part of something that is impersonal, that is not, not, you're not connecting with human beings, there's not that authenticity and that genuineness, Then we can be sure that, and this is going to sound judgmental. I don't mean it this way. You can be sure that Christ is missing from the picture, because demons and Satan are impersonal. They're angels. They're not human beings. They're angels, and so they they have a different makeup, and they're not personable. They're not. You ever hear an angel when you see the angel talking to Paul or or John in in, in in the book of? book of Revelation, and you hear what the angels they're kind of like, kind of just rough, aren't they? They're like, what are you doing? Get down off your feet. I mean, get off your knees. I'm a—I'm a, I'm a saint. I mean, I'm a servant as well. Or they say they, they just kind of, they're a little brash, aren't they? They're a little challenging. They don't have that human sentiment to them, maybe, because they're not human. They're angels. There's no personableness about them. And you know something? When Christ is not in the midst of something, it becomes impersonal <laughs> and it becomes machine it becomes like a machine what is the what is the what is the effect Well, when we look at the mystic when we look at the move of god it's not mystical for example matthew 17 do you remember when when the peter james and uh, peter james and john are with jesus they go up this very high mountain probably mount Hermon. they go to the top of that mountain And Jesus is transfigured in their midst. Remember that? They begin to see like his face begins to shine like the sun, his garments begin to shine like like incredible like lightning, and they begin to see Jesus, Jesus like transfigured in their midst. What does Peter say? Peter says what I probably would say in that moment. He'd be like, he's like, let's make a tabernacle here, let's build a monument. You know, let's, this is a good place to be. I think I would say that, too. Jesus, this is a great place to be. This is awesome. This is a Bible. This is the move of God. And Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah. They're having a little conference, a little power meeting, a team meeting there about stress strategy and things like that. We don't know what they're talking about. And what does Jesus do? Peter's talking. It says if you read the scripture carefully, it says he's talking and he's talking and he's talking. And it says that while he was speaking, God interrupts him. Remember that? God says, God says this, he goes, he goes, this is my son in whom I'm truly, and he begins to say, hear he him, hear you him. And then when God speaks like that, the disciples are on their face, just in absolute fear. And then then Jesus says, do not be afraid. And when they look up, key verse here, There was that incredible, powerful move. There's an incredible supernatural thing and it freaked them all out. And then when they look up, what does it say in the scripture there in Matthew 17? It says, they saw Jesus only, they saw Jesus only. This is a move of God. When we see Jesus, when we see Jesus Christ, and we get a revelation of who he is. I was thinking, I was with my son, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and it was just me and him the whole time. And you know, I don't know if you have a kid. If you have kids, you'll remember this. They want to give you something, right? They put it right in your face. You know, like, they, or they want to play ball with you. And they just throw the ball right in your face. <laughs> How many have ever had toddlers that did that? Or if you're a teacher, right? They just throw it right in your face. It's like, okay, thanks. I needed a broken nose. You know, his new car is like, right now in your face. Why is that like that? Because I think as kids, as a children of God, we are obsessed. We have that needs that interaction is when your child interacts with you he's interacting with your face sounds weird but there's just something about the face the expression the eye contact so it is with god is that when we are interacting face when we are interacting with face to face with god it's a face-to-face relationship i love this because god wants to remove the mystical and put a person there. And when there's a person there, and that personhood is the person of Jesus Christ, that is when we begin to see these things, the unity of one heart and one soul. It's like, I'm rereading this book by A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God. He says in that book, he says that we need to, we need to put away all of the stuff. We need to put away all of the all the complexity about our faith, and go back to that simple road of just, denying it all, leaving it all, and just seeking Him only. When our faith gets very complicated, and by the way, complexity is always a signature of the presence of somebody's carnal flesh, mine or whatever. When something gets very complicated, it just means the flesh is involved. When we put all of that away, we leave the flesh at the cross and let God crucify that. And then we just let God crucify everything in our life when there's only one thing that matters and that's Jesus Christ, that I may know Him. And this is the main point of the message. Because when we see Jesus face to face, when we see prophets, Moses, when he said, that I may see your face, when we see men of God in the New and the Old Testament say, I want to see the face of God, they said that, because when they saw the face of God, nothing, nothing could shake them. Nothing could move them. Nothing could move them from their place. I just... My prayer here is that we would just have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Not what we're supposed to do for God. Not what we're supposed to be for God as a church. Because if we have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is, we're going to know what to do. And then as a church, when we look at, when we're around,